Hello and welcome to the Banker's latest podcast series, Banking in Transition. I'm James King, the Banker's Europe editor, and I'm joined today by Rick McDonnell, the Executive Director of the Association of Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialists, and Isabella Chase, a Research Fellow at the Royal United Services Institute to discuss the utility of digital IDs for the financial crime compliance community. Uh, Rick and Isabella, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us, James. Back in April, ACAMS and RUSI jointly published a global digital ID survey. So perhaps to kick off the conversation, Isabella, you can let us know what's sort of the background to this research and also what do we mean when we talk about a digital ID? RUSI and ACAMS have been running a series of surveys for about two years now that aim to gather the perceptions of the financial crime compliance community on critical financial crime topics. So our first survey was on counterproliferation financing risk. Our second was on cryptocurrencies. And as you say, our most recent was on digital IDs. So why did we think that digital ID deserved a, a survey within itself? Why is it a critical financial crime topic? Well, in March of last year, the international standards setter in the financial crime space, the Financial Action Task Force, released its the world's first ever guidance on how to use digital ID for financial crime compliance. And we thought, well, that's really interesting. But it was made even more interesting by just weeks later, pretty much the world being forced into lockdown, the impacts of the pandemic, which, you know, really accelerated that rapid digitization that we were seeing in a number of different elements of our lives. And all of a sudden, you know, those small projects that governments were working on, uh, looking at digital IDs became incredibly important. So what we wanted to do is use this survey to really understand where the financial crime compliance community were in how they perceive its usefulness and how it can, well, what impact it would really have on fighting financial crime. Uh, to answer your second question, what am I, what am I meaning here by digital ID? We took the FATF definition of digital ID for this survey. Really, it's it's a difficult topic because digital ID can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. But we thought we'd go for quite a traditional definition, which is the use of electronic means to assert and prove a person's official identity online and or in person environments at various assurance levels. And Rick, if I can bring you in here, in, in terms of, I guess, building on what Isabella has told us, how can digital IDs be used sort of in a financial crime compliance context? What is the, the benefit here? We live in a world where uh, digitization is so prevalent and doing business is so prevalent in that mechanism that you need to have a reliable digital ID, not just a physical one. <clears throat> so that means having a proper definition and having a mechanism to have it in place uh, does uh, help to not only increase reliable commerce, but it can reduce fraud, which is a serious problem. We could come back to that if you wish. And also is a, a greater authentication. There are a number of governments who have in place now uh, digital IDs, and they're proving to be very effective in actually proving that a person is who they claim to be. On the <clears throat> issue of fraud that you mentioned, what is the specific sort of advantage of digital IDs here? Well, one of the advantages, I think, is that if you have a properly authenticated digital identity, 
then that follows you. You're able to show who you are and the level of uh, fraud uh, or the there is greater difficulty in defrauding. That's not to say there aren't uh, concerns, as the sh survey has shown, about whether that will be the case. There's, a, I, was a, I was a prosecutor in an earlier life, and I've, it's ingenious how many ways in which criminality and criminals can find a way around the system. However, I have great faith in the digital IT, ID system, depending on how it is, uh, it, uh, who authenticates it. Uh, we could come back to that if you wish, uh, because it is traceable. It is reliant on particular factors that uh, actually can prove who you are, as opposed to, say, uh, forgeable uh, paper identification. As Isabella mentioned at the start here, we're obviously living in a, in a kind of a, a COVID-managed world now. Um, we're seeing this trend, this acceleration towards digitization. So this is all very much part and parcel of what we're talking about in terms of the world we're moving into and, and the changes we're seeing you know, across sort of the global marketplace. Indeed. And I think uh, to give you an example uh, or comparison, cash is not traceable, unless, of course, it's been marked for a sting operation by the police, for example. Um, whereas uh, if, if uh, a digital identity uh, or for that matter, transactions digitally, if they're on, say, blockchain, for example, are traceable, this is a great advantage. And it's, it's proving to be of uh, a great boon to law enforcement agencies, as well as to supervisors and the, the person in the street who can have, I think, much more reliability in the fact that they can trace. Once it's on the system, it is uh, unerasable, if that's a word that I can coin as we speak. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, so it sounds like there are some, you know, some pretty sort of Sort of far-reaching advantages and benefits to to the implementation of digital IDs, and I guess the next question here is around, I guess, the challenges that you've sort of uncovered through your research in terms of um, implementing a system of digital identification across, uh, again, a global marketplace. And also, I guess, to follow up from that, are there any new risks that perhaps IDs like of this sort might introduce um, that you've uncovered? Uh, either Isabella or Rick, please please feel free to answer that. Isabella. Sure. I mean, I think the concern that a lot of people have with digital IDs and it, it's sort of the thing that jumps to mind most quickly for most people is that fear of data breaches. So if I have this one golden source of identity with so much of my information tied to it, what happens if that data is breached or used sort of nefariously against me? I think it's probably less of a concern in democracies, but we do see in more authoritarian parts of the world concerns around digital IDs being used to restrict services and or to persecute groups. When it comes to data breaches, I think, you know, we already keep so much of our lives online. And yes, it is a real risk, but we have to just continue investing in uh so the right policies and procedures to ensure that 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 uh, data remains secure. In terms of new financial crime risks, uh, I think you know there are always going to be people who exploit the system, as Rick said, and we'll still have people impersonating uh, di different digital IDs. But if the right checks and balances in place, hopefully, we'll make that much more difficult. Uh, to your question about implementation and, and some of the challenges there. I think a lot of it comes, well, one of the things that we picked up in our survey was concerns around um, having the right policies in place, especially in relation, relation to data privacy. 
and also just ensuring that the compliance communities have the confidence in the legal gateways in various uh, regulatory markets to be able to use these IDs in a safe and secure way within their financial crime compliance procedures and not be concerned that their data protection regulator is going to come after them. Building on from that point, in terms of the responses that you received um, from the survey um, across different regions and different markets and so on, did you see varying levels of interests and, and capabilities and so on um, from different regions of the world who are looking at, at engaging with this topic? Are you seeing levels of interest change from market to market? It was interesting to me to see that uh, in the Asia-Pacific region, the reliability uh, factor, in other words, the trust in digital identity was higher than anywhere else. I'm not quite sure what that tells you. Perhaps Isabella has a view, but my guess is that the penetration of uh, digital ecosystems, which is the buzzword I think these days, uh, is, is much more prevalent there. Isabella, what do you think? I would totally agree with you. And just sort of conversely, where we saw lower levels of trust or sort of thinking that it would be easy to integrate with areas like Latin America, where you see a slightly lower penetration of digital services in everyday life. So I think, as Rick says, it, it comes down to how familiar people are with digitizing their lives to how accepting they are to uh, the use of digital IDs. The last time I, I visited China, pr prior to COVID, of course, every vendor of from the smallest to the largest is using WePay or Alipay on their phones. And because it's much cheaper, it's quicker. And to the point uh, we're trying to make here, I guess, they trust it. Uh, it is used. Nobody uses cash anymore there. It's all on the phone. So that comes back to not just the convenience, but the level of reliability and trust. And just a final point here, Rick and Isabella, for both of you. One of the, the really fascinating outcomes from this survey was just the implications that digital identities will have for financial inclusion moving forward. And I think this is a really, obviously, a clearly a, a, a very topical issue. We're seeing not only global banks, but, but uh, governments and regulators really pushing on this front to achieve better financial inclusion across both developed and emerging economies. So talk me through, I guess, what are the implications uh, for financial inclusion when it comes to this discussion that we're having today? Financial inclusion is such an important issue that has really been highlighted by the pandemic in the UK. We have nearly a million people with no access to a bank account and globally it's about 1.7 billion with no access to a mobile or bank account. Why digital ID is so useful for this is because there are a number of markets, the UK being one of them, where we don't actually have an official ID. We have IDs by proxy things telling us that we can do something like a driver's license or a passport saying you're allowed to travel. We don't actually have an ID that is a, like an official government issued ID. And the thing with passports and driver's licenses is they're really expensive. And so for a lot of people, they're just not obtainable. So if you have a digital ID that is that all it does is prove who you are and it is freely available, issued in a way that is trusted and is accessible crucially through a device that isn't massively expensive. So I mean, problem in, in certain markets is they're very reliant on smartphones, but we do see models that can use feature phones, for example. Uh, so from an inclusion perspective, it really could be a game changer in allowing more people to prove who they are in a cheaper and more efficient way. The other point I'd raise here as well is when you look at uh, the issue of, of kind of 
familiarity, I guess, with digital ecosystems that you raised a little earlier, Rick. I think if you look at some markets like, you know, the Asia Pacific or even Africa, there is that level of familiarity uh, and engagement amongst um, society at large, I think, which kind of feeds in well to this, this, this broader topic. So I think probably it's quite a positive outlook here. I think there is a positive outlook, and, and I don't want to use too many examples from the Asia-Pacific region, but I do think it's in the lead in a number of ways, in the usage of the technology and in the acceptance of it. And uh, For instance, uh, there are a number of ways in which digital ID can, can be uh, put into place. In India, for instance, they have a biometric system that does that. And uh, I was speaking with uh, the supervisor in India recently uh, who is in charge of uh, this for supervisory purposes. And there are now 1 billion people in India who have gone through a physical biometric test. And that is proof that they are who they are. There's no way around that identification. That is a stunning achievement as far as I'm concerned. And that leads to, to reliability across the board, not only in terms of what we're talking about, financial crime and anti-money laundering, where you can have uh, better supervisory systems, better detection systems, but also in terms of everyday commerce, uh, it, it does pr provide a much more reliable benchmark than ever before. Yeah, and actually just to add on to that, Rick, I mean, it's always, I think digital ID is such an interesting example of where the global south completely leapfrogs the global north i mean just today we have the eu announcing its plans for its new digital wallet that will contain various identifiers but you know when you look at the Aadhaar system in india that's been in place for so many years now the uk is only just refining its trust framework for digital ids short canada is doing a phenomenal job bringing into and uh, operationalizing its trust framework last year but we are moving slightly more slowly, maybe maybe in a very considered way, which I think will be great for long-term sustainability of these schemes. But it is excellent, I always think, to, th to see the amount of progress and uh, just the usefulness of the schemes already in place in other parts of the world. And if I may add to that just uh, one thing, James, it was interesting to me that uh, reliability and trust uh, goes also back to the question of who is authenticating the identity of a person. And the survey uh, very clearly shows that the vast majority of respondents, and I would conjecture that this is applicable uh, in general across the world, still have uh, a much more reliable sense in government authentication of data, not in any other, uh, well, there are other means to try to do it, but uh, this I think is an interesting point because uh, in, uh, extra government identification systems, if I can put it that way, uh, there's less trust. In the future, that might change. But it's interesting that, uh, as I guess human nature, we, we, we stay with the tried and true. And if we can trust our governments uh, to do the job uh, fairly and accurately, then that's where the trust lies. That is really interesting, actually. And that's where the uh, perhaps the center of gravity might be on, on this topic for maybe a little while longer. But uh, uh, in the meantime, Rick and Isabella, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, uh, really great to talk to you both. And uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on your future research as it comes out and lie on this space in general. It's a fascinating area to be working in. Um, so thank you again. And I hope we can, uh, we can speak soon. You're most welcome. Thank you. Thanks, James.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.